0: I understand last week Sue brought a word on Romans 14. Sadly, I've not been able to hear that. Um, but the reason I mention this is Romans 14 and 15, they kind of flow one onto the other. Do you know when you're reading your Bible uh, and you have those little headers? Just remember they weren't written into Scripture, okay? Somebody added those later. Uh, and Romans 14 and 15 is kind of a good, good example of that because when you start reading Romans 15, it doesn't stand alone. It's a continuation. So I rang Sue yesterday, and she told me what you guys had, had learned. Um, as a bit of a preface for today, I want to read you two Bible verses that I'm not going to preach on, if that's okay. But I want to lay a foundation for the word for today. Uh, so the first one of those is Isaiah 40, 28-31, and I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. So I'll give you guys a second to get there. <coughs> Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. It says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Do you know, even youths go tired and weary? I'm not sure I believe that after this weekend. I know I grow weary and tired, but these guys, this was after like a 20-hour journey and they're still buzzing. But it's true, even moose grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. We know that's true. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will rub and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Hallelujah! I'm not in Africa anymore. I'm like, come on! Hallelujah! Amen. Amen. Thank you. Right, we've got some African representation here. I'm looking to you guys for the uh, for the inspiration. <coughs> Similar in India, right? So come on, guys. When I spoke to Sue yesterday, this was the uh, this is what stood out to me from 15. So we're going to use this as the bridge from last week to this week, and it's Romans 15:7 to 9. And yes, just in case you were wondering, I am totally intending to leave that Isaiah verse to stand on its own. Scripture is strong enough to do that. It doesn't always need opening up. Romans 15, 7 9. Accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that us Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles I will sing praises of your name when you read Romans 14 and this is what Sue would have spoken to you last week it's an awful lot about food okay when you've been in the bush in Zambia for two weeks you think about food a lot too I like Shima or pap or whatever you call it but I much prefer KFC and fried breakfasts, curry, you know. that actually taste of something that offence, guys. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but you think about the food a lot. And I would terrify that. If I was in a cultural place, whether it was to do with food or any other issue, that I would fall out with a brother or sister in Christ on, a li- on, a, on an issue of euphemism. And this is the context of what Paul is telling us through Romans. Remember, Paul is a man chosen by Jesus himself. There is wisdom in his words set out for us. If we wrote this in 2019, I think we'd be talking about denominational differences, theological debates, issues of I don't know, homosexuality, giving, uh, religious practice, tradition, I don't wear a dog collar, some people would be offended by that. I do wear shorts and flip flops, lots of people are offended by that. Still don't care, if I'm honest. Um, But I care when they're offended. In fact, let's use that one as an example. I didn't wear shorts and flip flops in Zambia. Why? Because they wouldn't have respected me. They would have been so distracted by the fact that I turned up wearing shorts and flip flops that actually they they may have, not all of them, most of them would have encouraged me to do that, but some of them would have been so distracted by it that it would have stopped the word of God changing their hearts. So therefore I made a decision that I would sweat and be incredibly hot and uncomfortable so that I wouldn't cause a distraction to even just one person in that room. If we applied the same to food, if I go to a vegetarian's home for dinner, I don't expect them to prepare me meat. Whether it's a Christian issue or just a cultural issue, I'll eat their vegetarian food. Now, likewise, if I'm a vegetarian and come to my home, I'll also cook some vegetables. It's not a one rule for you, one rule for me scenario, it's I want to honour you and I want to help you. And I think that's the message that comes out of Romans 14. And I trust that Sue delivered that probably better than I did in my little mini bite catch-up. So at the start of Romans 15, it continues to talk in the same, in the same light. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the difference between Jews and Gentiles, the covenantal promise that Jesus gave us for the Gentiles, not just for the Jews. That's where we're going to pick it up again now, halfway through Romans 15. And it references heavily into Isaiah. Heavily. Paul was was a great Jewish scholar. We know that. We know that his foundations were in Judaism. We know that he knew the scriptures. In Romans 15, it talks about the root of Jesse. Maybe I should have read that, out, hope I didn't. The root of Jesse is a metaphor. It's found in Isaiah 11:10, 10. And it says that in that the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for peoples, the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. The term root of Jesse is like the son of Ricky or the son of Brian. We know that the son of Jesse, the root of Jesse, was King David. We know that Jesus was a descendant of King David. So when we talk about the root of Jesse, uh, it's, a, it's a cultural thing. And I'll tell you why they describe this rather than just saying the son of David in a minute. But what we're saying is, this is, this is David's dad. We're talking about David. We're talking about this is where Jesus came from, from the root of Jesse. Why is this important? Because all of our salvation will come through Jesus. Whether you are Jew or Gentile, hey, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, agnostic, somewhere in between, somewhere on any kind of scale. Your salvation is going to come through the root of Jesse. The reason we chose root in the Hebrew, is the word is shresh, S-H-E-R-E-S-H. And it just doesn't mean a root. It means a root that is still alive. Do you know if you chop down a tree, the root normally dies, but if you pull out the plant, sometimes the root still lives and the plant comes back. So this is what that's describing. This is not just any old root that's been left in the ground. This is a root that is still alive. And that's why he's decided to call it the root of Jesse rather than just descendant of David. The descendant of David could be multiples of millions of people. But this is his way of saying that Jesus is still alive. The root of Jesse. The root of our salvation, the root of our faith is still alive. We still have that hope in him. I confessed yesterday to Sue and I'll confess to you guys today that I am incredibly tired. I've had the most amazing two weeks. In that two week period there have been five nights where I've not slept in a bed. And any of you that have not slept in a bed know that you've not slept. Okay? Not rested. I've flown halfway around the world twice I've been up. I mean, the the hardest one, the really most challenging one was that they released a new Marvel movie whilst I was away. And the only time I could get a good ticket was last night. Uh, So we were still at the cinema at midnight too. So I don't want you to feel completely sorry for me and give me too much sympathy. And incidentally, it's a real tear jigger. I'm not gonna spoil it for you if you've not seen it yet. But when you travel with youths, when you travel with young men and young women, you have to do these things. So I'm going to blame them on them because they're not here. OK, but I promised them whilst we were away that we would see it when we got home. I'm incredibly tired. I'm not going to take up a whole a load of your time today, because when I was preparing for today, I struggled. I always looked at the scriptures first. And then I looked to scholars, I looked to books, I looked to to research, I looked to even footnotes. You know, we all have a study Bible, right? I read articles, I listen to other people's sermons, and I did all that, and I was crying out to God going, I get it, I get it. But what do you want me to say on Sunday morning? Because nothing was jumping out to me. The Lord didn't give me a word for today. And I love preaching and teaching, and and I can do all those things. I don't want to waste your time with just reams and reams and reams of words when actually, one thing did jump out. And it only jumped out very, very late last night, about 1 a.m., and it was that word, hope. So I don't know how many of you today need hope, because you all have it. Whether you've been a Christian for 100 years and not pointing any fingers at anyone, or you, you, you maybe you're just coming back to God now. Maybe you don't even know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe he's still a babe in arms whether it be physical or metaphorical. And maybe you don't know that. Maybe you look at your life and say, my life has no hope. I know it should, because I know what the Bible tells me. I know what all my Christian friends tell me. But really, my life has no hope. Well then, actually, I believe that the Lord is speaking to you today. And this is what I think he's saying. He says, in Jeremiah 29:11, we quote this verse a lot in the church. But it says, I know the plans I have for you. So, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I don't know whether this is just me, certainly partially me, because it's the way I'm built. But I can't watch the news now, or watch Facebook, or Twitter, or Instagram, or Snapchat, without hitting something that upsets me, that genuinely upsets me. Before I went away, do you remember it was Easter Sunday? And we had to just take a moment to stop, and pray for the families of all those people that had been killed in Sri Lanka. Not weeks before, there were bombs in mosques, and we prayed for them too. It's not a a Christian, you know, let's face Christians over everyone else. It's a world where we're broken. Do you know the area I went to was called Mahaba? And I was really shocked, because I've been to Africa about 15 times, I've been to Zambia 7, but in this incredibly rural bush area of Zambia, I saw a poster promoting the fact and reminding people of the fact, training and teaching people of the fact that child marriage is not acceptable. So I I went to some of the people I was with and I said, this can't be for real, this must be an old poster. And they said, no. In some rural areas, girls as long as 12 will still be married off. Girls as young as 12 and 13 will be giving birth. My heart just cries. And then you think, get over it, Ricky. Look in the UK. It happens here too. We don't call it child marriage, we call it pedophilia. We don't call it... We don't always use the same words because somehow we, we use different words to justify sin and crime here. And then we judge others from other nations or other cultures and we try and treat them differently so that we're somehow better or cleaner or, or whatever. When I was there, people came to me and they spoke to me about all sorts of random things. This is what happens when you travel the world. How big is the UK? How many people does it have? How far is it from this exact location? How on earth am I supposed to know this stuff? But something that kept on coming out was how much they admired our political systems. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I did too. Because, of course, they come from a position of corruption and they come from a position of dictatorship, not in Zambia specifically, but across Africa, you have different problems. But we are so good in the West, so good in the UK, of presenting a we-are-better-than-you kind of culture. Like, we have problems with our problems are completely in hand and completely in control and they're nowhere near as bad as yours. Nonsense. And I've tried to educate them in this and they wouldn't believe me. But if we use that swear word again, if we use that word Brexit again on a Sunday morning, every one of you just did it, every single one of you just have to rolled your eyes. We know there's hope there, we know that it will get resolved, just like a dictator in Africa will die at some point, okay, so there will be some kind of hope for a future. When I get to that point, I have to remind myself that my hope is not in my political leader. All joking aside, when I said to the Lord from Isaiah 6, here I am, send me... And you will know, you know, you know, much of my testimony. I was, a, I was a businessman, I was earning lots of money, I was quite happy doing what I was doing in truth. I was in the church in rugby with lots of friends, I enjoyed it. Had a nice home, cheap home compared to the southeast, small mortgage compared to the southeast. I had a, had a youth ministry where where people were being saved and baptized. Where young people would come to know Jesus and they were my friends as well and their parents were coming to church and lives were being changed and every now and again I got this, this little nudge from Jesus said, go and do something funny as well go to a youth conference go to Africa go to India just, yeah I love these places so when the Lord said to me I'm going to send you to Basildon Basildon B-A-Z-D-O-N Basildon I was little My eyes lit up like a Christmas tree. No, I was surprised. I wasn't disappointed. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. But I was very surprised. There was a little bit in my heart that I thought I was going to Africa, if I'm honest. There was an opportunity to go to India with Francis. You know, you guys have been here, you know. My hope was not my own. My hope was what God had for me. If I was not so convinced of what God had called me to do, first of all I wouldn't have come, that's obvious. But what you don't know is that I wouldn't have stayed. Think about that for a second. Any one of you can go to a job interview and they tell you a lie. How many of you have done that? I've been in that place. If you come and work for us, we will make you a manager within six months, we'll pay you this. Come and work on this little bit first, but within six months you'll get a pay rise, and you'll be over here, and we're going to move you to this place. And you get six months down the line, you go, well, that's, that's not exactly what happened. I'm not saying that's what you guys did, by the way. <laughs> no one lied to me. But, you know, when you say to Jesus, here I am, send me, you, you, sometimes you create expectations in your head about what that might look like, and sometimes that doesn't happen. Well, in that situation, you have to be absolutely 100% convicted and convinced of what God has asked you to do. And that's the point where we know it's your dream or it's his. Because if it's his dream for your life, you know. And you say, well, if God has called me to do this, he will give me the strength. He will give me the resource. He will give me the solutions and the answers to these problems. When it's your own dream your dream will just change to something easier. We call it the path of least resistance. Have you ever heard that? If you have an idea, I want to go this way or that way, and one's up a hill and one's a flat path, you're going to go down the flat path because it's easier. But when you're on a mission, when you know that you've been called to do something, you stick to it. The hope that we have in Jesus can be translated or interpreted or understood in two ways. The primary way as a Christian, and even this has layers, is that we have a hope for a future. We have a hope in Jesus that we are going to have an eternal life. Not just an eternal life, but an eternal perfect life. How many times have we spoken on this recently? People said to me, we went out for coffee once with somebody, and they said to me, I don't like the idea of eternal life because my life is rubbish, rubbish. So said, no, 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 you've misunderstood. It's not your life that's going to be eternal. It's going to be your new life that's going to be eternal. And your new life will be in a new body. And it won't have sickness. Your new body will live on a new earth where there won't be earthquakes or hurricanes or tsunamis or disease or death or murder. And the new heaven will be with the new earth. We'll all be together again. Even that has layers. As I said, people will struggle with the fact that in that new life there won't be husband and wife. If you love your spouse, that would be hard to comprehend how will I feel about that. For me, I'm a single guy. But my mother will no longer be my mother, my mother will just be my sister. Well, do you know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to be real. Tim always challenges me to be real. I'm a proper mama's boy. I love mama. i do anything for her. Do you know, she prayed for me my whole life. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be. Here. Not for the obvious reasons, I mean for the un reasons. So the idea that she'd no longer be in that relationship with me, she'd just be my sister, that, you know, this has problems, this is, you know, this, is not, this is not simple stuff. But if your life sucks now, the promise of a future may not actually be any good to you. Think about that for a second, especially if you've been a Christian for a really long time, because we can recite this over and over and over and over, and over again to ourselves, and we know that we have a hope for a future. For me it's an absolute certainty as far as I'm here right now and this, this table's here because I can feel the touch see it. I know I have a hope for the future So the second way we can interpret hope is that you have a hope for now too Now You have a Jesus who wants to be in relationship with you Now Whether you are one day old or one second old let's not get legalistic about that 120 years old, you have a hope right now because Jesus sent the great helper. We have a brother called Jesus who sat at the right hand of God, and through Jesus, we can speak to God Himself. God Himself, just imagine that that's why we pray in Jesus' name. I had to remind people that's where I was this week not just like a catchphrase like we say amen at the end of reference today, yeah we agree well yeah in Jesus name some way of ending a prayer no it's not, we're petitioning through Jesus to God himself well right here, inside of you, you have the Holy Spirit you have a hope right now because you can petition God himself through his son you can be healed by the Holy Spirit yes that means you can step out of a wheelchair yes that means the blind will see but it also means that your broken relationship can be restored. It means that your broken heart can be restored. It means that an abuse that you've experienced can be recovered. You have a hope right now. He has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Hope is something that we don't necessarily talk about so much in our culture. We may talk about dreams and we may talk about aspirations. But when we were in Zambia, we talked a little bit about hope. We used the term dream. And uh, I love the guys I was preaching with. If nothing else, you taught me that I'm absolutely not an African preacher. We have very different styles. But we brought very different messages. And what I love when this happens, you have six different preachers from four different church networks, from two different countries and continents, who were given one Bible verse as a theme. Genesis 37, 5. It wasn't even put into a plan until you got there. Yet one led to another, led to another, led to the other. And they fit perfectly. Nobody contradicted each other, nobody crossed over one another, nobody repeated one another. We complimented each other throughout. We know that it was prompted by the Holy Spirit. But their big theme was dreams. They said, I have a dream. And uh, the conference was called Living Your Dream. I've got given a t-shirt. The end of the living my dream. Almost as if this was like a post-conference thing, you know, like, Are you living your dream? Yes, I'm living my dream. Hallelujah. Lovely t-shirt. Doesn't fit. Um, they don't make my size over there. This was an XXL and it's still skin tight so uh yeah that got taken straight away my challenge to them on day one which was very controversial because it was sounding quite different to the theme of the conference it sounded quite different to the way they introduced it but i asked them to think about joseph and for those of you who don't know so joseph was a young man he was the 11th of 12 brothers he was much younger than his 11 siblings he was working in a field one day he was a dreamer Joseph, the mould-coloured dream coat, you remember that one from school, yeah? And he had a dream. And his first dream was of 11 bales of hay that bowed down to his bale of hay. And he told his brothers, and his brothers went, you can't be serious. You don't think we're gonna bow down to you, do you? And they mocked him. Well, shortly after he had another dream. And he was 11 stars, the sun and the moon. So he went to tell his father and his father, being the sun, his mother being the moon, the stars being his brother's so, father, you can't be serious. We're gonna bow down to you. We know that at the end of that story, through slavery, torture, false accusation, imprisonment, being beaten up, being lied to and about, that he ends up as the second most powerful man in the world. Right? the cupbearer, the, the guy stood next to Pharaoh the guy responsible for the whole kingdom because let's face it, Pharaoh didn't really do lot other than make decisions the second most powerful man in the world and everyone went Hallelujah, Amen yeah but that was God's dream for him. can we just have a moment to check if your dream is God's dream for you because his dream probably would have looked more like this. I'm the 11th of 12 brothers. My inheritance will go to my eldest brother. When ladies come to the local village, or well, in all the local villages, I'm the 11th in line. Like, I'll be lucky to get a wife, let alone a pretty one. Damn, why was if my 11 brothers are harsh on me, and work me too hard, or beat me, or treat me unfairly? So my dream's gonna look something like this. If I was Joseph, please don't let my brothers kill me. Hopefully they'll keep me in the estate and in the inheritance. And maybe, just maybe, I can have a wife of my own who doesn't look like a lamppost, and I can have some kids. Do you know if I polled you all now, young or old, may not always look like that, okay? At a youth conference it's easier to do this because, you know, everybody stand up, what are your dreams and aspirations? I want to get married, I want to have kids, I want loads of money. My funniest story of the week was when somebody said to me, I hear you're a businessman. I want to be a businessman, this is my dream. I said, cool, what's your dream? He said, I want to be the boss. I want to be the boss so that everybody pushes my dream and my vision. Yeah! because I don't want to push anyone else's dream or anyone else's vision. I said, yeah! But what business? Well, I want to be the boss. Yeah, but doing what? I want to be the boss. Yeah, but of what? Of a company? Yeah, what company? I don't know. How are you going to do it? I don't know. Got any money? No. Got any experience? No. Well, good luck with that plan. But at least he had a dream that was a little beyond Most people I spoke to, their dream was Either, I want to get married and get a job, okay? I believe that God may have something better than that for you. Or, I want to get married to a superstar, live in America and be a pilot. I mean, I can't read, write or count, can't get a visa, don't have any money or experience, but that's not okay. okay, okay, We're not going to get into the difference between a dream and a fantasy here, okay? I believe God has something better than you, than this little dream, I believe that God has something better than you, than a fantasy. The example I use is I can, I can want to be Ronaldo all I want, but for a guy who doesn't exercise, eats too much, I'm never going to be Ronaldo. It's a fantasy. I might be a better version of me. I'll go to the gym with Vladimir. He is making me a better version of me. <laughs> Just. Sometimes I can't walk or move or... Or anything like that But I can become a better version of me God has a hope For your future Of that I can be absolutely certain As much as I can see you in front of me You have an eternal life A new body on a new earth And all you have to do is accept Jesus As your Lord and Savior to do that You don't have to agree with all my theology You don't have to agree with all my church history All you have to do Is accept Jesus in your heart As your Lord and Saviour, and you have that future. When you have that relationship with the Son of God, you have an awesome future here too, because He has plans not to harm you, but plans to prosper you. Maybe, just maybe, this has prompted some of you today to think about something. Maybe you'd like us to pray for you. You can come, you can ask, well, anyone, you can ask the person sat next to you to pray with you, you can come and ask me, I'm happy to do that too. But today, You have a hope. You had a hope yesterday too. But today was the day I got to tell you about it. Amen.